Hi, you're listening to Perpetual Learning, a podcast where we dig into ideas from great reads and listens. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. Hey, Manjula, and I'm Sudan Siva. This week, we're talking about investment mindsets, uh, the broker versus investment mindset when people are buying assets, how it affects the way that one invests and the results that they produce through changing economic cycles. Uh, let's kick this off, Sudan. Actually, your second try at this topic, why, why bring it up again? I think, you know, given the current environment, it's a topic that's probably more relevant than when I had shared it. You know, I think it was mid last year. And, you know, a lot of people have operated on their assumption that they'll always have access to cheap money uh, for a very long time, or at least for the foreseeable future. And so, you know, the primary goal of many investors over the past, let's call it three, five, possibly longer uh, years, you know, has been to deploy as much capital as possible. You know what, let's actually take a step back and, and talk about context first before we get into figuring out how these two sort of investment mindsets work. What's the relationship between asset prices, interest rates and inflation? Yeah, so, you know, obviously this is more at a macroeconomic level. I'd say that it starts with the central bank and government increasing the supply of money, both by, you know, lowering interest rates as well as buying back securities in the open market. And this inherently increases asset prices, which over time leads to inflation overall. And so that cycle uh, has been consistently going on, I'd say, for the past few years, but, you know, has been more, I, I guess, um, more prominent, you know, obviously with uh, some of the COVID funds that have been released over the past two years. Mm. Let's get into that, that a bit more. How have those two things, the, the low inflation and low interest rates, that environment, how has it shaped how people invest? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, first, a lot of people and particularly investors have only known this low interest and inflation environment, right? Many of us, myself included, haven't seen what a high inflation or even high interest rate market looks like, mm. right? And so a low interest and inflation environment has made it easy to deploy capital and ultimately allowed investors to be okay with a lower rate of return, right? So having access to seemingly unlimited cheap capital basically allows many of us to take on higher levels of risk without necessarily commanding a high risk premium. And the net effect is that people are more incentivized or were more incentivized to deploy capital as quickly as possible because people enter the belief that prices will keep going up and the need to find new areas to uh, generate returns um, has consistently grown. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I um, I was having this conversation with my dad and he talked, he was talking about how when they bought their first house, the, the interest rates that they were looking at were like North of 13%. And I thought yeah. North of 13%. Meanwhile, here we are, we're in the, Three to five. Is it, is it 1.5? Is it, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. to me to, I mean, there was, I mean, the environment, there were so many things that were different about around the environment, including probably the price of the house that he bought. 
but uh but but you know we've had we've had cheap capital for a while now i think some of us tend to think it's sort of the 5 year time frame or the 8 year time frame but it's actually much longer than that yeah. so let's let's talk about these mindsets you know you have two that you've described here the broker and the investor walk me through that like how are they different yeah so i'd say the broker and and or advisors, you know, largely care about getting the deal done, right? They don't have a vested interest in the long term. So call it 10 plus years of the asset itself because they would have flipped it already. Whereas an investor is more focused on identifying high quality investment opportunities has a much longer horizon. And so inherently, you know, they're focused to stay patient and wait for the right opportunity versus consistently trying to find new areas to deploy capital and really, you know, participate in competitive processes. Mm. But it also means that they, you know, they don't have those sort of rock star results in one year, right? Exactly. Because because they've got this really... uh, I mean, you look for slow compounding growth over time versus, you know, know, doubling, tripling or, or, you know, 10xing your money in some cases that people have seen, um, you know, over the past couple of years, just by taking extraordinary risk uh, with extremely cheap capital. Now you hinted at, you know, hinted to me that you had the story, um, the story of Tiger Global. Tell me that story. Yeah. So Tiger Global is a great example, I think, of a very sophisticated investor and hedge fund, you know, 20 Plus years of experience, um, you know, Chase Coleman and, you know, the team there are, are, you know, globally renowned for the achievements that, that they've been able to do. And they recently kind of entered the growth equity venture capital space and were making investments at an incredible clip, right? Almost as high as doing a deal per day, uh, according to some resource. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, nothing to, uh, you know, there's no facts to kind of substantiate this apart from, you know, obviously the number of deals that they've done, but over the past 12 months or longer over the past 18 months, you know, they were considered to be a very prominent investor in the tax base. But even if it's a deal for, let's even take that back a little, add in a little bit of a buffer. It was a deal per week. Even if it was a deal per two weeks, that's still, that's still pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, I think, while they're a massive fund and have a incredible team, I think, you know, the results or at least the reported results of, you know, those investments post kind of this recent market correction has been that, you know, they've almost erased two thirds of the gains that uh, it created since its launch in 2001, which, you know, obviously isn't a great result and, you know, perhaps is a bit of an overcorrection, hopefully if you take more of a longer term approach, but, you know, just goes to speak, to how, you know, the mindset has been over the past few years in particular. Is there a lesson that you draw from that story? Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that this can happen to anyone, right? You know, just because... Yeah, you're right. They're such a savvy firm, right? Exactly, exactly. The fact that, you know, this isn't just, you know, everyday people selling, you know, cryptocurrency. This can really happen to, you know, the most sophisticated um, investors uh, around the world, right? And, and so the fact that it can happen to them really gives you a lesson to, you know, 
understand that, you know, these temptations can build over time. And before you even know it, you're uh, acting in a fairly irrational manner uh, in the grand scheme of things. Now, one of the conversations I find myself, I don't know if you do too in your circles, um, you know, something that just, it, it's always sort of at the bottom of certain sort of dinner conversations or coffee conversations, then, then it bubbles up is, is people thinking about, have we reached the bottom? I don't know if, if that's something that you find yourself having in sort of non even non work and non sort of investment conversations. Um, it's an interesting time, hard to tell. Uh, when or where the bottom will be. What do you find interesting about what comes next? Uh, have you thought about what comes next in the two to three years? You know, it's very hard to kind of look at what will happen in the next, you know, two, three years or even at, in a shorter time frame. I personally suspect that, you know, we're obviously going to and have been going through a reversal, right? As, you know, inflation and interest rates go up. And, you know, essentially those who have, you know, been using more of that broker advisor mindset where you're just purely focused on deploying capital will be disproportionately punished versus those who really focus on the merits of the investment um, in and of itself. Right. And so, um, you know, some may call this a shift towards value investing. Others may call it something different. I think you know, hopefully there will be more rational behavior, but it is going to be taking a bit of medicine across the board, right? I think it, you know, even if you're not investing on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, it, it is going to impact, you know, food prices, housing prices, all that kind of stuff, right? And so uh, it will be a bit of a tough pill to swallow, um, I suspect, over the, you know, coming six to 18 months. Yeah, I, you know, that line that you said about the medicine, I think that is so true. Um, um, and I think it's, it's the, it's, it's the fact that there was all this exuberation, <laughs> like there was a very sort of, ex, um, how do I say this exciting environment for a while? Yeah. And, and for some people, um, the turn is because they haven't had the 20 to 30 years of ups and downs. It, it's a lot more worrying. And this isn't just when it comes to investments, but also career and a whole bunch of other things. People that are, you know, making their first investments for personal reasons, like their homes or whatever, or, or moving for a job, whatever it may be. Right. So it is, um, it's certainly what I would describe as dicey times. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm really feeling for people, but I think it's a great topic. And, uh, and I guess we're on next week again. Yep. Absolutely. Talk then. All right, chat soon.